Hey, uh, thank you so much for being here. Anybody excited to be in the house of God? Feel like they want to hear from God? It's going to be amazing. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn your Bibles, Philippians 4, verses 10 through 20. And if you don't, it's all good because I'm going to read everything to you anyway. Um, if, you've, if you're new to our church, we've been talking a lot about what we feel like God is saying to the church, which I believe God is saying there's going to be seven years of favor. Favor is God's undeserved kindness towards you. I was talking about, uh, I went to dinner last night with some friends, and with tears in my eyes, I said this sentence to them. The reason why I feel so free is there's not one aspect of my life that I have earned. All of it is because of God's grace and kindness. Yeah. I, don't, I didn't earn the wife that I have. I didn't earn the children that I have. I didn't earn this job. The, the, this job takes work, but, but true favor is that you cannot earn what you're working for doesn't measure up to what you have. So I believe that earning creates like literally this curse over you. Like we want to work hard and we want to live in the fruits of our hard work. But to live a true life of favor, you can look at the work you put in and feel like you don't even deserve the outcome of that work. If everything in your life you're earning, you're not free. And it starts a relationship with Jesus, starts with you don't have to earn love. We have to earn love from everyone. You ever notice that, like, we have to earn everything. And what separates Christianity from every other religion is that you don't have anything to earn. Every other religion, you have to earn something. What you give to God is how God responds to you. We're the only one that seems to say that God loves you and that love cannot be earned. And if you try to earn it, you will actually put yourself in a deep spiritual bondage. Most people are in bondage for what they earn. You know, as little kids, they're so innocent, they don't earn anything. They expect everything, but they earn nothing. You see a little kid, you ask for ice cream for breakfast, they're shocked if they don't get it. Like, what are you talking about? Are you not my parents? Do you not love me? Give me some ice cream. It doesn't matter. Like, they, they have this sense of expectation, and they have this... Freedom from responsibility because they're so taken care of. But maturity is they're growing to learn to be responsible without having this feeling that they have to now earn their parents' love. You know, so many times when a kid is like one years older, we look at them with these googly eyes and then they're 13 and they make a few mistakes and we catch them cussing. We stop looking at them that way. Now we make them earn what they used to just get. You know what I mean? No matter what they did. They just used to get that, and now they have to earn it. And so I'm trying to make sure that even one of the ways that I could be the, the most godly towards my kids is there, there's not this graduation from my affirmation and love they now have to earn when I used to just give it to them for free. And so this is important that we understand that there's so many things that God wants to show us so that we can be prepared for what he wants to give us. And so when I'm talking about vision, when I'm talking about favor, I feel like if I'm not careful, you think I mean that God's getting ready to fix everything and make everything the way that you want it. But that's not what favor is. Um, and so we're going to learn from Philippians 4, verses 10 through 20. We're going to learn from this amazing faith leader named Paul. And he says this in verse 10. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need. For I have learned to be content with whatever I have. Can I give you a little background? Paul's in jail for something he didn't do. And he's saying, good looking out, y'all. I'm paraphrasing. 
for helping out your boy. But just so you know, I'm good. How are you good when you are in jail for something you did not do? Just so you know, if I go to jail for something I did not do, don't y'all sit up here and let David talk about, I was glad when we came back in the house. Y'all better come get me. I'm like, this is not, this ain't church as normal. Come get your boy. Like, I'm gonna need Johnny Cochran to come back from heaven. I'm gonna need, what was Larry, Larry Parker got me 2.1 million. I'm gonna need, call an attorney. Get me out of jail. I'm not gonna be writing letters to you while somebody else is up here talking about, hey, I'm so glad you're concerned, but I'm good. Isn't this wild that he's good? It made me realize today that I don't want what I believe to be the good things that God is bringing to us to be the solution to the fact that we're not good. He's good because he has God. I'm good. Jesus would say that he was good in a couple of random moments in the Bible. There's this time where um, they went to arrest Jesus and his, his buddy Peter, the first guy to lead a church, the Bible says he took a sword and cut off the guard's ear that was coming to arrest Jesus. Anybody want somebody like that with them when somebody comes to do you dirty? You got, but Jesus stopped them and says, don't you know that I could call on 10,000 angels at once and they'd come stop all this right now? But I'm good. I want you to understand that Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross and suffer like he's never suffered before. There are 10,000 angels saying, say the word, Jesus, and we got you. That would be like, anybody grow up in the hood? That's like 10,000 homies with their feet sideways. Now, if you're from the hood, you got to know what the feet sideways means. If you're not from the hood, your toes face forward with the way that you're walking. And if you're not from the, for, if you're from Pacific Palisades or Beverly Hills, people walk with their toes face forward in Beverly Hills. But when you come from the hood and somebody's attacking you, you need some homies that, that got they, and they drag that left foot behind them. Can I just give you, this has nothing spiritual. When you, this is practical. When you see somebody walk like this towards you and that front foot is sideways and they, and it's a sweep of the fist, run! Run. Don't ever fight nobody like that. If you got your toes facing forward, I'm ready. I'll square up with you. But as soon as you, and don't let you, the, the pants, don't let you, don't let when they come towards you start doing this. Your life is in danger. Run! Jesus has people better than that. Angels. 10,000 angels waiting around going, I wish somebody would mess with Jesus. And Jesus said, stand down, I'm good. Then he gets on the cross. What kind of, he gets on the cross, arms stretched out, crown of thorns on his head. He's, his body's covered in blood. He's never done anything wrong. And his last words on the cross were, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
So I think we bring up a lot that Christ died for us so that we can be forgiven of our sins and have a relationship, but we don't talk about enough the way that he died, the attitude that he died with. I mean, if I was chosen to be on the cross, I might have died, but I wouldn't have said, Father, forgive them, for you don't know what you're doing. I'd have been on the cross like, y'all know what y'all doing. <laughs> Matter of fact, my daddy gonna come over all that's how I would have died. I would have died with a bad attitude, cursing everybody. Jesus literally took his last breath moments later saying, you guys don't know what you're doing. Don't we think we know people's intentions when they do things bad to us? We, I know what you're doing. You're doing this because this, this, and this. And Jesus, no, I'm good. I want you to understand he didn't say, I forgive you. He said, Father, forgive them. Meaning my daddy is watching y'all do his son dirty and he's going to release some stuff in you to you that ain't going to be good. So I need my father to know that I'm good. Father, forgive them. I'm good. Paul is saying he's good. Not that I was ever in need for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know now, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. He says, I can live with a lot or I can live with a little, I'm good. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's a full stomach or empty with plenty or little, for I can do everything. You heard that verse, it's really popular. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. We have got to stop putting this verse in gyms in Christian colleges, on the bench press rack. That's not what it means. He's saying, not that we run a marathon and we put in the caption, I can do all things that Christ, that strengthens me. That's not the context of that verse. The context of the verse is simply this. The same strength that it takes to be rich is the same strength that it takes to be poor. The same strength that it takes to be married is the same strength that it takes to be single. The same strength that it takes to have nowhere to live is the same strength that it takes to have a palace. The same strength. You cannot be rich without Christ's strength. You cannot be broke without Christ's strength. And you think you only need strength to be broke. No, you need God's strength to be rich. You need it for both. Whatever you're not using Christ's strength to achieve, he's saying, whatever I'm doing, Christ's strength supports that. So there's no difference between my poverty and my abundance because it's all God. I'm good. And then he goes on and says something to me that is just absolutely insane. Verse 14, he says, even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. Wait, what? Hey, guys, you need, you need to know I'm good, but good looking out on the, on the check you sent. He's not like uh, when the giving goes down, pastors do giving series and we make our offering messages more. We get, put the video of the children we're giving to because we're scared. He's saying, by the way, I'm good. I'll always be good. Christ has made me good. When, when, when I'm good, when it's good, it's Christ's strength that makes it good. You know how some people, your life is actually good, but because you're not living by Christ's strength, it's not good. And some people, it's bad. And if you would live by Christ's strength, it would be good. This is insane. He's saying, if I have Christ in me, I'm good. Not it's good, I'm good. And the test for when things are good 
is are you good when they're not good? That's the biggest test for good things are bad things and you're good. It is good. He's saying to them, even though I'm good, it was good that you helped me out. Now, Paul would have been one of the greatest church leaders ever. Most scholars believe that. This dude was fire. He had churches everywhere. When Paul was done, there would not have been a single person in, the, in anywhere in the world that hadn't heard about Jesus. And watch what he says in verse 15. He was over a bunch of churches. In verse 15, he goes, but as you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. This guy had a bunch of churches and nobody helped him out when he was in prison. And he's still saying, I'm good? Imagine if I was in prison for something I do and I've been leading this, leading this church for 30 years and y'all just up here chilling and no, nobody came to help me? Hey, y'all the only one who did this, but just so you know, I'm good. And he goes on to say, even when I was in Thessalonica, you helped me more than once. And I don't say this because I want you, a gift from you. I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. He is audibly saying before the Lord who's blessed them so God, can bless, so God can bless them. What kind of person is this that could be content? And I felt like as I was reading this, it goes on in 18 at the moment that I have all that I need and more. No, you don't. What about his life is everything I need? He says, I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. That's a great name. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice as acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which has been given to us in Christ Jesus. And I felt like, as I really believe God's going to do some good things, I felt like people need to learn, as Paul did, to be content with what they have. Because we're talking about vision and what God's going to do, and I believe God is going to do that. But I want you to write this down. Vision is not the solution to discontent or frustration. Vision is the solution to blindness. It's not the solution. So many times we have vision to start a business because we're discontented with being broke. Or we have vision to be an actress or an actor because we don't like that no one notices how gifted we are. We think we have a vision to do music when really we have a vision to be seen. When you're blind, most of your vision has to do with being seen. No, no one cares. Like, no one cares about what I'm doing. Uh, my friends, my niece, Championship volleyball team, CIF, Division Three. let's go. Stands full of people watching them and cheering them on. It would hit a little different when you're trying to do something awesome and you look up in the, and no one's there. We know that people watching you do something has an impact. Think about how basketball teams' records at home are better than they are on the road. Why is that? Why does LeBron James, when he's in Miami, does something change about his ability to make a jump shot than when he's in L.A.? No, but there's something spiritual about having people in your corner. 
So when you believe in Jesus, the Bible says you become a citizen of heaven, which means that everywhere you go on earth, you now have home court advantage. I'm going to throw this binder. Did you hear what I just said? So then if you're discontented, you start dreaming of a future because you hate, you can't get married because you hate being single. You can't want to be rich because you hate being broke. That's not a solution. Vision is not a solution to discontent. Vision is a solution to being blind. Like, can you see? Can you see? Not what's in front of you, but can you see through the bad thing that's in front of you? Can you see through the bad thing that's in front of you to the good thing that's ahead of you? That's vision. It's, it's like, is you ever put those glasses on and like, isn't the glasses weird that if you can't see, glasses help you? But if you can see, they actually damage your eyes? So some of us are looking for assistance to see and we're going to damage our spiritual eyesight. We're looking for circumstances to go well. We're looking for everything to be fine. And, and, and I don't want to preach messages where you think that God's idea of favor is fixing everything in your life. The first wave of favor that we're going to experience in the church is that the church is going to be content where they are while believing and working for what will be. That is favor. Paul had the favor of God on his life so he could be in jail. Vision is the solution to blindness. And spiritual blindness, if you study the Bible, is often the result of discontent. People weren't satisfied with their community and God. It had to just be more. God would give them manna from heaven. It's like, where's the meat? Where's the, where's the quail? They just were always discontented. And, and, and what I want to tell you is that if your life is horrible right now, this vision favor won't fix it. You need to open your eyes to the goodness of God that's already happening right now in your life. Already happening right now in your life. It's a solution to being blind. And so God was saying this vision of the church is not so their lives can get better. It's so they can stop being blind. And there's a couple things that happen with blindness. A few things I've read in scripture, I don't have time to read all of them. But a couple things here cause blindness. One of them is we have an enemy. His name is Satan. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4 says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. So unbelief, anything you're going to do in this life starts with belief. If you, if you talk to any athlete, they believed they were going to do what they were doing since they were five. There's nobody doing something at that level that at 19 got a vision. They say, you know what? I think I'm going to play ball. It's almost the length of time that they believed mixed with the length of time they had to go without what they believed produced the fulfilled vision. You, do you know that the, the length, it, it's, it's not I believe that this year. How many people, January's coming up, how many people have said this year has going to be my year since 97? This year. You know the proper way to say that? Stop saying that. 
This year is not going to be your year. The real way to say it if you're a Christian is this life is going to be my life. Meaning I'm going to give God my whole life to do what he wants to do. Not 2023, my whole life. This life is going to be my life. Meaning when I get to the end of my life, you see what my son, I think he prophesied over some of us. Yeah, everything's going to be good at the, by the end of our life. <laughs> he, I had him pray for y'all to encourage y'all. And my son told y'all the truth. Everything's going to be good by the end of our life. He didn't, he didn't say today. Y'all hear what he said? You caught it? I thought he was prophesying over y'all. Not this week. By the end of your life, it's all going to be good. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Listen. Out of the mouth of babes. And y'all thought it was cute, but he was telling y'all how long some of y'all might have to wait. He told y'all like it was. We're going to have a good day and it's all going to be good at the end of our life. Come on, son. He clapping. Come on, son. Give God a shot of praise up in here, son. I'm so proud of you. He said, I'm standing up. Y'all need to know who said that. <laughs> Y'all need to know who said that. But he, he blinds us through unbelief. And what affects, what affects our unbelief the most? Time. Time. You know, the Bible talks about like, this is like, you, you're not supposed to have sex before marriage. And everybody in the Bible got married at 14. Of course they waited. <laughs> they was married right when they got the emotions. But you 35 on Tinder, you need the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Lord, help your girl, help your boy, Lord. Literally, it's so hard right now. We don't talk about that enough. We don't talk about that the girl in the Bible was like, Ooh, girl, dun, dun, da, dun. That's the, the, within a year of thinking somebody's cute, she was walking down the aisle. You been, you been, how many, shout out, you been on a bad date this year, make some noise. If you sit next to him, elbow him. I love you, that was a real bad date. But we start getting discouraged and we start not believing and, and the, one of the biggest byproducts of unbelief is blindness. Now you can't see anything that God is doing. You have no hope. And now we want blessings like Uber Eats where God delivers blessings in the fog. No, God doesn't deliver something in the clouds. He clears it. Do you know I had a vision that I was going to be the next pastor of Oasis Church? You know what that vision was? It was not thousands of people. All that was happened was that I was in kids' ministry and I had a vision. And, this, and we were at the old building on Wilshire and Normandy and I had a vision of this beautiful red mahogany stage. And when we bought this building, I said that was the stage in my vision. And Pastor Philip was up here and there was fog everywhere. No one could see. And he would hand a microphone to someone and the fog would get clearer. And he hand another, or get more dense. He would hand it to another person to get more dense. He would hand it to another person to get more dense. He gave it to me. He left and the fog cleared. 
And God told me that I would be called to help people see. I think we want God to do something and God says, no, I want to show you something. I want you to be able to see. And so unbelief clouds our vision. Satan uses unbelief to help you not be able to see all that he has for you. And by the way, when I say all that God has for you, I simply mean that he'll show you your future. He'll show you something awesome. And then you live in it. I don't believe that we can be satisfied with anything in our life that we did not believe was going to happen. Because if we're not, we didn't believe it was going to happen, then once we get it, we're afraid to lose it. You ever get a scholarship to college and then get afraid you're going to get kicked out? But if you were believing you were going to get a scholarship, then it helps you live by faith in the scholarship. If you believe you're going to get married, then when you get, get a, a boyfriend, you don't use manipulation or a girlfriend. You don't use manipulation to try to keep them because you're walking in who God showed you he would send you. I'm not walking in it. I'm attracted to what God showed me. And so when you look like what God showed me, I say, you hot. But if I'm dating someone and God did not show me them and I'm attracted to them, then usually I'm walking in blindness. And church are high beams for believers walking in blindness until you can learn to follow God and believe so the smoke clears in your life. Do you understand how profound this is? Do you understand how profound this is? Did you know that blindness in the Bible means someone's blowing smoke? Someone in your life, whether it's the enemy or your friendship group, every time they talk to you, things either get clearer or cloudier. Do you know how good this is? Do you know that you can be around someone and all of a sudden you can't see? Do you know that all of it takes is having a wrong friend group, living in the past? To be blinded means that the enemy, it means someone's blowing smoke. Do you understand what that means? That if you don't have any clarity in your life, someone or something is blowing smoke. This is no joke. Did you know the other thing? Blindness doesn't just come from unbelief. Do you know blindness comes from God too? In Isaiah 6, um, it's a real popular passage, here I am, send me. Anybody ever heard that? Here I am, send me. We're going to read a little bit what God actually sent Isaiah into. Verse 6 says, it was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. Uh, This prophet Isaiah was really good friends with the King Uzziah. Not a lot of great kings during that time, and they were really close. And so the Bible would suggest that Isaiah was really heartbroken that his friend died. But in the middle of the worst experience, arguably, of his life, he saw something. That's real vision. When you can see something in the middle, in the middle of the bad thing, you can see a good thing. In the middle of the bad thing, you can see a good thing. And it says that, He saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. He saw Jesus. Attending him were mighty seraphim, angels, each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. They were calling out to each other, holy, 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 which really sums up God's character. 
is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. This is a weird thing for angels to say because his best friend just died and all of Israel at that time is in complete destruction. And angels who literally sit in the presence of God all day long said, the whole earth is filled with his glory. That word glory simply is translated, the whole earth is filled with the weight of God's goodness. I want you to understand that Isaiah was at a funeral, both for his friend and the city. And when angels showed up, they said the whole earth is filled with the weight of God's goodness. How is that possible? And then it says once they said that, the voices shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. God creates this inability for Isaiah to see. And in that, I feel like preaching. (laughs) In the inability to see, he says something interesting. Isaiah did. It's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. And he touched his lips with a hot burning coal and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. I always feel like for me, if an angel of the Lord showed up in this time, it wouldn't be a burning coal. It would be a pepperoni hot pocket heated up five minutes. (laughs) It's the hottest thing in the world. You ever burn your mouth with a pepperoni hot pocket? I can't believe these people have not been sued. It is this single, it's like lava on the inside. So he said, Lord Pierre right now, he put that pepper up, pepperoni hot pocket on your lip, burn your whole mouth up, and now you're forgiven. Here's what's crazy. When God created the smoke, when the devil creates the smoke, you stop believing. When God creates the smoke, you desire forgiveness, changing yourself, not for others. One of the biggest signs that the enemy's creating the smoke is you want everyone else and everything to change. When God's creating the smoke, you say, Lord, will you forgive me for my issues? And then he heard the Lord asking a question. Whom shall I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here I am. Send me. Isn't this beautiful? And most preachers stop there. And they go, I wish I had a hundred people that would be willing to stand before God. Come on, somebody, and say, here I am. Send me. Give a shout to God. But we don't finish what God was sending Isaiah into. Because it says, and he said, yes, go and say this to the people. Listen carefully, but do not understand. Watch closely, but learn nothing. Harden the hearts of these people, plug their ears, shut their eyes. That way they will not see with their eyes, nor hear with their ears, no understanding with their hearts, and turn for me for healing. He's saying, what I'm sending you to is I'm sending you to preach to a bunch of people who are not going to listen. Because these people have been living in discontent for 400 years, even though I've blessed them. So now their punishment is they're numb to the word of the Lord. 
due to their discontent. Wait a minute. I, I thought we were going to do something awesome, God. And the angel showed up and he said, how long will this go on? God, God always, he always gets you yes. Like, Lord, Julian, you want to pass to the church? Christine, you want to pass to the church? Yes. Pandemic. <laughs> I wouldn't have said yes before that. I don't want the pandemic church. I wanted the church before that. The church I said yes to was the 2019 church. Not the lockdown 2020 church. But he'll get you a yes and then go, pandemic. But I had to learn to be content during that time. How long will this go on? And watch what he says. Until their towns are empty, their houses are deserted, and the whole country is a wasteland. Until everything I gave them that they were discontented about is gone. I'm going to take it all. Until the Lord has sent everyone away, and the entire land of Israel lies deserted. If even a tenth, the remnant survive, it will be evaded again and burned. But watch this. But as a terebinth or oak tree leaves a stump when it is cut down, so Israel's stump will be a holy seed. The whole church got cut down during the pandemic. This place used to be with thousands of people, and it got cut down. And, and the Lord showed me today as I was praying for all of y'all that he's basically saying favor begins with a stump. Something that's been cut down that has the ability to grow again. You can't fill a conference with that. Anybody been to a conference that has a really cool name like Freedom Conference? You imagine we throw a conference next year and it's called Stump Conference? <laughs> Stumps don't get a shot because we're grieving what was. But God says he's going to grow back. I'm leaving a remnant that is going to listen to what God has to say. Do you know how many people don't listen to even the simplest thing from God? I love you, I'm for you, and you're awesome. You say, I'm not that awesome. He said, you're awesome enough for me to die for you, and you say, you actually care more about what you have to say to yourself in the mirror than what God has to say to you in, your pre in his presence. And we're always elevating what we have to say or what others have to say over what God has to say. And God is saying, I'm going to speak to this thing that's been cut down. If you would hear my voice and hear what I have to say, some things in your life are going to grow back. Do you know that being in God's presence produces contentment? And this word contentment means self-sufficiency. He was using what would be like a real new agey term. Like he was using like if I came up here and said, like, man, like, I just caught a vibe. Like that, that's, to them, it would have been that familiar. Or, you know, we, uh, like people in LA say energy, like, I don't know, I just wasn't feeling it. He was using a term that they were familiar with because they were all trying to be self-sufficient. They were all trying to do it on their own. A badge of honor back then was you didn't need any help. And he was saying, I can be more self-sufficient than you because Jesus has taken over my whole self. Which means what? The good things in life that you are believing for are not coming to you, they're coming through you. So the favor that you're gonna feel 
in the beginning is not the booked audition or the pay increase. You are gonna feel yourself living by more faith. You used to have anxiety and now there's peace. You used to have hopelessness and now there's hope. The first favor that's gonna happen is you're gonna be like, wait a second. God's gonna be able to put you in the worst circumstance and you're gonna be able to feel his presence. So this seven years of favor doesn't start off with things getting better. It starts off with you getting better. It starts off with you getting better. And this happened to me in 2020. In 2020, man, to be honest, I was mad. When all that racial injustice stuff was going on, I was mad at pastors who weren't saying something. I was mad because I feel like, like as a black man, I started to feel like I was really oppressed. And then one day I was having coffee with another brother. I looked down, this is a true story. And I had a $7 latte. And we were talking about being black in America. He had avocado toast. <laughs> and I was like, my dude, man, I don't think we oppress. Your toast was $15. My coffee was seven. I had the cappuccino with the pinky out. This ain't no Folgers. Your boy done came a long way. And then he started to tell me, God started to shape my theology. You think as a black man in heaven, that in heaven, I want to do something in your life I want to promote you, but because Bob in accounting hates you, I can't do nothing. And he started to say, open your eyes, son. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. And I'm looking for someone who is oppressed to raise them up. Listen, you got to understand Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King did not have cloudy vision. He wanted equality, but we always talk about what he wanted. We don't talk about how he got that vision. His last speech, he said something. He said, I'm good. I wanna get there with you, but I'm good. He said this, there was death threats everywhere. They knew, they, they knew he was gonna die in Memphis and they asked him not to go and he went anyway and gave a speech where he said, longevity has its place. I'd like to live a long life, but I have seen the mountaintop and I've looked over and I know that we as a people will get to the promised land. Now I might not get there with you, but we going. He was living in the reality of what will be while processing the pain of what is, but he was living in the future reality of freedom while living in the current reality of oppression. And then he said something even crazier. He said, I'm not fearing any man, for mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He saw Christ coming, returning to help him. So he was free based on what he saw, not based on what was happening. And if you watch his final speech, Martin Luther King collapses in the arms of the people who brought him. His last public words were, my eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. His last public words were not demanding change. They were, they were prophesying what he saw. And he told us what God showed him. And then he collapsed in the arms of the people that brought him. 
And, and I read up on this, he was sick, he had strep throat, he had the flu. They don't even know how he did that speech. None of it was written. He didn't write anything down. On the last public speech, he prophesied to the nation that if our eyes would see the glory, the goodness of the coming of the Lord, then in, we're in the middle of this circumstance, if we can see the glory, if we can see God's goodness in the bad of the situation, then we don't even need to get there. We might as well already have it because that's how good it feels to see what God is doing. Even though... So I'm not here to ask you, do you have it? Do you see it? Do you know how special you are? Do you know you were born with a purpose? Do you know that God is awesome? Do you know that you're awesome? Not by, because of what you do, but because what he's done for you. If you can just receive that, I want you to close your eyes because so many of us are working for something we can't even see. God wants to show it to you. And when he shows it to you, he wants to give you a holy content so that when it happens, it's not to make you content. It's to glorify God. Show it to you. You got a kid that's going crazy? Show you your kid restored and off drugs. Ask God to show you. Ask God to show you. You want to go to college? Ask God to show you. Show me where you want me to go. Because some of us want to go to a college that make us feel accomplished when God is sending us to this college so that we can make people feel loved. So sometimes God will, he's always doing something good. He's always want, ask God to show you. Show me, Lord, I want to see. There was this blind man in the Bible and he shouted to the top of his lung, son of David, Jesus, have mercy on me, I want to see. Being able to see is an act of mercy. It's an act of God's goodness. So Father, I pray right now, as we believe for vision and the good things of God to happen in our lives, I pray right now, if anybody needs to be healed from discontentment, you're not never enough, they're never enough, it's not good enough, I want you to lift your hands to the heavens. The Holy Spirit wants to heal you of your discontent right now. God wants to heal you of your discontent because you're praying for things to get better because you're unhappy with what it is and that is not the way God works. We gotta have holy content which means we're working and believing for what God has next, but we are actually joyful in what we're in now. Contentment is not complacency. You still work, you still believe, but God wants to heal people from discontent. And he wants to clear the smoke that the enemies put in your eyes. Say, hey, you're awesome. I got a plan for your life. Follow me, we're gonna be good. Lord, heal them. Open their eyes to all that you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Wow. What an amazing and challenging word. Would you say the same? I would. And I feel like I am leaving this message understanding that I have to learn how to be content, which is hard. It is hard. And if you think it's hard, we have some amazing discussion questions for you to think through your thoughts and reflect. Um, maybe do it with a friend. That's yeah. always helpful for me. I'm a verbal processor, maybe you are too. If you're not, grab a journal and we'll see you next week.